0: Because we want to listen to all that God has to say to us in His inspired word, we must talk about the issue of brokenness in the marriage relationship. This is a subject of Deuteronomy 24 and this is the passage Jesus debated with the Pharisees in Matthew 19. So as we continue our series on Deuteronomy, let's pray for a spirit of humility and ask the Lord to give our study leader, Dave Wurtson, as he seeks to help us to get deeper than our personal judgments on the matter into the heart of the matter, biblically.
1: Do you realize that if we think about divorce, it's become the norm of our culture today? If we were to ask people to raise their hand, how many of you that are married at some time or another in your life have experienced a divorce? In the average audience of American people, the norm would be that most married couples at some time or another in their life have an experienced divorce. Now, I remember a day, in fact, when I was being raised back in New York, Nelson Rockefeller was trying to, as as governor of New York, was thinking in terms of running for the President of the United States, and he had all the money that the Rockefellers could muster, And he had all kinds of support in the Republican Party. But you know, one of the things that kept him from being able to be elected was, guess what? You would never guess it in the 1990s. But Nelson Rockefeller had been divorced. And at that time, many years ago, when I was just a kid, that was like a death knell to a political career. And that was in this secular society, not the Christian society. When President Reagan ran for presidency, I remember talking to my dad about it because he was an ardent supporter of President Reagan. I said, hey, dad, what about the fact that he's been divorced? When I was a kid, he used to talk about, boy, that's not going to be such a good thing. Never even came up. Because by that time, as Americans, you know, divorce is just part of everyday life. Now, the old school preacher, which I've started out with leaning a little bit that way, yells and shouts at us. God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Have you ever heard that verse? It's from Malachi. Most believers that have heard that God hates divorce have never read Malachi chapter 2. They have no idea what it really is talking about, but they thunder out God hates divorce. And so we have a message in our church in the old school kind of a setting about divorce, and everyone that's been divorced feels totally discouraged, totally guilty. They feel so guilty that they get angry and they leave. Where do they go? They go to the progressive preacher's church. And the progressive church tries to smooth over the feathers and make everybody feel comfortable. And instead of yelling out that God hates divorce, the basic idea is, you know, God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be fulfilled. God wants you to be able to find yourself. And he wants to be able to find what it means to really be happy in a marriage. And whatever it takes to get there, you do it. And so we go to the other extreme. If ever there was a day when we need to try to open up the pages of God's word... And look at what God's heart is. You see, when it comes to this area of divorce, it's so easy for us to have hardness of heart. And I want to ask you today as we talk about Deuteronomy chapter 24, and I'm going to begin in Matthew 19 because this is one of those passages in Deuteronomy that I can go directly to our Savior's interpretation of it. And we can look at what the Lord Jesus wants us to learn from the Law of Moses about divorce. And so let's begin in Matthew chapter 19, and we begin in the midst of a conflict. But we don't have to get involved in the conflict because we're going to try to be non-emotional. We're going to try to at least begin to hear, first of all, what God has to say in the matter. Matthew chapter 19, we have kind of an extended discussion of our Lord Jesus concerning this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Let's look at it, and we'll pick it up in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. It says, Now some Pharisees came to him to test him. In other words, the Pharisees are the religious scholars of the first century. We could think very much in terms of men that know the Old Testament cold, they know Deuteronomy cold, and they know all the intricacies of several hundred years of tradition. And so these Pharisees that know all this Jewish background come to our Lord, and I want you to notice that their purpose is to test him. Their purpose is not to learn from him. Their purpose is not to open their heart to him. Their purpose is not to really determine whether or not he's the promised one from God. Their purpose is to test him. In theological discussions, as long as our purpose is to test, as long as our purpose is to win an argument, as long as our purpose is to argue about words, we're not going to ever hear. We're not going to ever listen. And so the Pharisees have the wrong heart attitude from the very beginning. Their heart is just involved in argumentation, their heart is just involved in trying to get all the intricacies of a religious discussion down, and really what they want to do is to try to win against the Lord. In fact, their heart down deep inside is filled with darkness and, and hardness and, and very evil thing because they would like the Lord to make some statements about a subject which is going to divide his popularity. It's going to be able to suck away from him the kind of acclaim that he's getting throughout the land of Israel. So their hearts are all wrong. They came to test him. He notice how they deal with the Lord in this way. They ask, is it lawful? And here's the loaded question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? You see, what they were stating is they knew that there was a background in the law of Moses that down to the centuries of Judaism had taken this idea that if a man, when he got married, found something in the woman that he didn't like, for any and any reason, some reason, he didn't like her, that he could get a divorce, And basically, there were two schools of thought on the matter, and the Pharisees basically expressed the loose view, the view that was from the school of Hillel, who was a rabbi that came about 100 years before Christ came into the world, but by the time Christ came, his school of thought was one of the most powerful uh, ways of living and ways of following the law of Moses. The school of Hillel said that you can get a divorce for any and every reason, especially the men, primarily the men, can get a, get a divorce for any and every reason. Now, what was that law based on? Let's turn back and try to find out what the Pharisees, what the basis of their question is, and how it developed. Turn back to Matthew chapter 24. We now arrived in our study in the book of Deuteronomy, and we're dealing again with the family area, the marriage area. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses is talking to us about the area of marriage and marriage. Usually we think of these verses as pertaining to divorce, but I want you to listen very carefully and think if they're really talking about divorce, allowing for divorce, trying to give reasons for divorce. Let's look at it. Deuteronomy 24. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, that's what Hillel picked up on. If a man marries a woman and she displeases him, in other words, he doesn't like her, he's not pleased with her, very emotive kind of thing, Notice that the school of Philel forgets the next phrase because he finds something indecent about her. And this word indecent is a word that was used in the previous chapter. It's, It's short of adultery. It's short of some kind of blatant sexual immorality because we've already learned in the book of Deuteronomy that the penalty for committing immorality or adultery is the penalty of death. So the penalty for being immoral was not to have your marriage dissolved, it was for your life to end. So it's something that doesn't involve specific sexual immorality or adultery or breaking the seventh commandment, it's something short of that, it's something indecent, it's something that's unclean, it's something that's not quite right, and the school of Shammai, which is the other school, which is the more strict school, picked up on this phrase. The school of Shammai said, if you're married, you found out after you were married that it contradicted the laws of Leviticus chapter 18. In other words, maybe you found out that it was too close a relative. Or maybe you found out that this woman uh, was not keeping the law of Moses. As Jewish uh, thinking developed, if a person wasn't Jewish, if they weren't committed to the Jewish faith, that could become ground for divorce if they broke some of the Levitical laws about the way that your clothes were supposed to be. Remember, we've learned in the book of Deuteronomy that you weren't supposed to mix the materials in clothes. So if a husband found out that his wife had kind of tricked him and, and she mixed the material, then that would mean that he had ground for divorce. That would be this impropriety, this indecency. So the school of Shammai is picking up on something that the woman has done that contradicts the law of Moses, short of immorality, but something that is obscene, something that's not right, something that's wrong. And that's what this phrase indecency means. In fact, a literal expression is the nakedness of a thing. The literal phrase that's used here is if the husband wants to, is displeased with her because of the nakedness of the thing, there's something that's not right about this situation with this woman, then what is he supposed to do? It says that he and he, notice what it says, and he writes her a certificate of divorce. So he's got to write out a document. In fact, the literal phrase here is he needs to, he needs to make a book of the cutting, the book of the, of the ending of this relationship. So he has to take out a piece of parchment, whatever they use for writing material, he has to write out this certificate, this formal ending of the marriage. Notice that he has to do that. Second of all, and that certificate would have to be judged, and the worthiness, whether or not he had sufficient grounds, would have to be judged by the elders of the people. So there's a legal procedure that he's going through. The next thing he has to do is he has to give it into her hand. He can't just do it by the telephone in modern parlance. He can't just say, bye, I'll see you later, and no formal ramifications. He has to look at the person right in the eye, give it into her hand, and then he has to formally send her out of the house. And he sends her from his house. And, verse 2, and if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, so she goes through the same thing again, and gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be an abomination or detestable in the eye of the Lord. Do not bring the sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you to inherit. Now, these are the famous verses from the Old Testament law on the question of divorce. And I want you to stop and think about this. Let me develop how the Jewish interpreters developed this passage. On the one hand, the school of Hillel picked up on the little phrase, the, 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 the thing, and, the, and they picked up on the idea of displeasing, and they developed a whole series of reasons why a Jewish man could divorce his wife and they included things like if she burned his food. Now, in other words, if a guy got married, he got up for breakfast the first day, and the eggs were completely slaughtered. I mean, she offered them as a burnt sacrifice. That was it. That was the end of the marriage. That was grounds for the ending of the marriage. If she... The Mishnah developed, which is the Jewish explanation of all this, if she spun in public, not spinning in a pirouette, but if she was spinning with a spinning wheel so that she showed her upper arms in public, he could divorce her for that. They had a little bit different standards of modesty than we do, but <laughs> kind of like the Islamic culture. Another reason they had if she was talking with some other men. And her husband didn't like it. That would displease him. And he could divorce him. In other words, I want to give you the feel, the school of Hillel had one of the most broad divorce laws that you can imagine. Okay? Now, the school of Shammai was the strict one. They were the deeply spiritual ones. They were the ones that said, No, the phrase in Moses is not... If he finds something that displeases her, you forgot to read the next part. It says it's not just any kind of displeasure. It's not just because he's sick to his stomach one day and he decides he doesn't like this girl anymore. He said the real issue here is that there's some kind of indecency. So the school of Shammai had all kinds of insight into, the, into this phrase. It's a little bit enigmatic. It's a little bit mysterious. a little bit hard to put your finger on what we mean by the nakedness of a thing. So we've got page after page after page in Jewish writing of what the nakedness of a thing is. And I just gave you some of the things. Disobeying the laws of Leviticus chapter 18. Some kind of sexual impropriety. Something that's not just quite right. Maybe some kind of a physical defect or something of that nature. And the school of Shammai had a whole debate about that. That's the background that the Pharisees are bringing to the Lord in Matthew chapter 19. In other words, they took this little phrase, it's about a little paragraph in the Law of Moses, and they built a whole case for the different reasons why a man could divorce his wife. There was a strict school, the reasons had to be very good. And there was a loose school. A lot like today. You see, when we come to the issue of divorce, as soon as you mention the issue, that automatically we start to move towards our different camps. Well, I think in this situation it would be okay. No, I think in this situation it would be okay. I, think it, I don't think you're strict enough. I think you're too loose. And we've got two schools. One school that says, like I started out in the introduction, one school that's says divorce for just about anything you want to. Incompatibility. And there can't be anything more nebulous than incompatibility. Men alive, if I was going to get divorced over incompatibility, our marriage wouldn't have lasted for three months. We are totally different. That's the idea of a good marriage, to be different. Who wants to marry themselves? You ever think of the nebulousness of we're incompatible? What in the world does that mean? It just means I, I, I need to get out of this situation. And our courts are so filled with, with, with divorce situations, if you want to get divorced, I guarantee you the judge will give you about two minutes and you're out of there. He's tired of you. He doesn't want to worry about you. Man, he's not a family counselor. They don't want to mess with it. So if you want to get divorced, you can do it. That's the school of phil out. Then we have the religionists. I went to seminary with some guys, you know, some pastors. There was absolutely no divorce. Absolutely no reason for divorce. If you came to them and you've been divorced, you needed to go to the church down the street. So we've got a real strict view back and forth. That's what happened in Judaism, and that's what happened among the evangelical church of today. And I want you to look at Deuteronomy 24. Everyone look at it in the text. And I want you to ask yourself, is Moses really setting up all kinds of criterions for whether or not you can get divorced, and whether or not it pleases God for you to get divorced, or whether or not it's the right thing to get divorced? Is that what he's doing in this passage? Passage? The incredible thing about Deuteronomy 24 is that it's not about divorce at all, only indirectly. The issue in Deuteronomy 24 is not about divorce. In fact, you know what Moses does? Moses assumes people are getting divorced. Moses realizes that as he gets these people ready to become a nation, like most of the nations in the ancient Near East, there were people getting divorced, a lot like today. And so he doesn't give a law that condones divorce. What he does is give a law. The law in this passage is not about divorce. It's about remarriage. You know what Moses says? He says, you all are getting divorced. Here's some of the reasons you are getting divorced. And he presents a case study. He says the person who was married to a woman, she displeased him, some kind of indecency. I'm not even going to tell you what it was because that's not really the issue here. But he divorces her and sends her out of her house. And, he, and Moses goes through the whole thing that he's got to give her this and he's got to do this. And then he says this. Then she marries someone else. And the same thing happens again. And then Moses gives his law. What Deuteronomy chapter 24 is about, it's not a law about divorce. It's a law against remarriage to the person you divorce. That's really what it's about. And that's a puzzle. You say, why in the world would Moses care that this woman not be allowed to go back to her first husband? Because legalists are always looking for loopholes. And if you're in a legal frame of mind, and I have people that come to my office, they say, we want you to tell us what the Bible says about, and then they'll say, maybe divorce. And what they want me to do is go flipping through the Bible, come up with some reason from the Bible that will justify what they already want to do. And then they can legally do it. We're able to solve their conscience, throw a little holy water on it, and everything will be all right. It's not going to work. See, that's not what Moses is doing. You know what Moses is doing is saying, Legalist, you're not going to get a loophole here. You see, the loophole is this. If I'm married to a woman, she burns my eggs, I don't like it, so I throw her out. She goes and marries somebody else, and then I say, oh yeah, she was really pretty good, let's bring her back. Then what I can do is I can have legalized adultery. You see, what I can do is I can push the woman out, let my friend have her for a while, kind of like we do in the modern culture, you know, you just pass them along. You just pass her off to somebody else, but it's legally acceptable because you've got a legal ground that covers that area. Your divorce was legitimate. So you divorce her for a little while. When your friend gets tired of her, he gives her a piece of document, a divorce again. He throws her out of his house, throws her back to your house. Kind of like the baseball players in the New York Yankees that swapped wives back and forth when I was a kid. It's just legalized adultery. And it's breaking the intent of the seventh commandment. Moses in Deuteronomy 24 was not trying to set up a whole tradition of why you could get divorced and why you could not. He was trying to legislate and to put restrictions on a procedure, on a loophole in the law that legalists would take advantage of. And he said, you can't do this. So if you're going to get divorced, you better, under the old covenant, you better think real seriously about it. Because once you do it, that's it you're not going to ever be able to have her back again. So think long and hard. Because if you send her away from your house, she's not coming back again. Now, all the women should be deeply troubled by Deuteronomy 24 so far. There's one glaring problem with Deuteronomy 24. What is it? Come on. It all talks about if she doesn't please him. Some of you, dear ladies, are sitting there going, what about if he doesn't please me? All right, how many of you have been thinking, there? No, we'll confess, right? <laughs> you see, this Deuteronomic law is really favored very much towards the guys. One of the things that Jonathan was asking me about this week, is, says, Dad, you know, there's a lot in the Deuteronomic law that seems to give the girls a raw deal. That's true. And if we say, well, this is the ideal law of God, in other words, Deuteronomy 24 is the way God really wants things to be. He wants guys to find things that are displeasing with their wife. Here's a legal reason why he can kick them out of the house. And then if they do kick them out of the house, then God will be pleased they can't take them back again. And we all rejoice together. This is the perfect heartbeat of God. Exactly the way God created things to be. That's not what this law is about. This law is not the perfect will of the heart of God. This is a mess. Moses is dealing with a people where guys are divorcing their wives and then just passing them around. He puts a restriction on that. Isn't that a great thing that God does? You see, God is infinite. God is perfect. God is totally holy. There is no sin in Him at all. But you know what? In His dealing with us as human beings, the Old and New Testaments are filled with a righteous, holy God that comes into very messy situations... Real knots and fishing line that's all tangled up morally. And then he makes some controls. It tells me a great deal about my God. You see, as the revelation of God reveals itself and progresses, we find out that in Christ... ...that a woman is just as much a fellow heir of the grace of God as a man. And that a man that thinks that God loves him more than he loves a woman doesn't understand the heartbeat of God, because in heaven, in heaven, we're not going to have all those distinctions and all that hierarchy. And so the heartbeat of God, as Revelation unfolds, is that God loves men and women just the same. But down through the centuries, there have been cultures where it's very much of the men. And what God does is enter into that culture, and he makes some controls. He sets up some safety barriers. And then there's some hints in the law of Moses about the heart of God. For example, under the Old Testament law, contrary to a lot of the other laws in the ancient Near East, a woman could inherit property. And the property of a a family could be passed on through a woman. You have a whole account about that happening. And Moses gave the land to a group of women, a group of daughters in Israel, because there weren't any male heirs. And you have these hints of God's thinking. What I want you to see, and it's very hard to understand this, legalists never do understand it because, because they're, they're always looking for all the rational ramifications. They want everything to line up. And they just don't enter into this idea that an infinite, pure, and holy God would enter into a mess and give some regulations to try to help the mess not to be such a great mess. The great tragedy of the Pharisees is that they took a mess that God was trying to regulate and they legislated it. And they made it become a doorway to forget about God's heart in marriage. I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 19 because that's what the Lord talks to us about in Matthew chapter 19. You see, the Pharisees with all this background know that either way that Jesus answers, if he answers according to the strict school of Shammai, he loses half of his audience. If he answers according to the loose school of philel, then he loses the other half of his audience. Either way, they win. They've got a divided popular movement. They've got it under control. Look how Jesus answers. Verse 4, haven't you read? Boy, those are loaded words. Haven't you read? These Pharisees had the Old Testament in Hebrew memorized. If you said Deuteronomy chapter 24, they would be able to quote those verses to you. They knew every single line in Hebrew. So why would Jesus Christ ask them, haven't you read? Because you know what I find in my own life? I've read Deuteronomy 24. I can remember the days back in seminary where I analyzed Deuteronomy chapter 24 and I analyzed all the school of Philel and all the school of Shammai and I tried to figure out how this fit into my particular view of divorce. And the Lord would come to me at that time and he should have come to me at that time and say, David, haven't you read? This passage is really not about divorce. Divorce. It's about regulating remarriage. It's not saying anything at all about the heart of God towards the marriage relationship and towards what divorce really means to him. It's not about his heart. It's about a loving God who graciously enters into the mess of human existence.
0: Haven't you read? Not have we read those words, but have we listened to God's heart? All of our lives, those who have been divorced and those who have not, are a mess none of us are proud of all of our internal thoughts all our secret actions this is why god entered into a messy world died a messy death so that by his forgiving love he could clean up the mess forever only those who humble themselves and admit that they are a mess can receive the gift christ wants to bring divorce is not the unpardonable sin Jesus can meet you exactly where you are and bring restoration in your life. Some of you are living in agony right now. The last thing in the world you ever wanted to become was divorced, but your partner just left. God does not come with condemnation. He comes with understanding. He himself experienced this in his relationship with his people. Read the book of Hosea. But he has the ability not just to empathize with your hurt, he can also bring the promise that ultimately all the events of your life can write an incredible story of intimacy with him and of redemptive love. Jesus enters fully into the messiness of our lives and by his grace over time cleans things up so that we will be prepared for eternity.